While we're standing, would someone just have prayer? Please. Lord, we feel our need in this hour. We want to gaze on your face in this hour and receive your power. As you said, receive ye the gift of the Holy Ghost. We just ask, Holy Spirit, come and fill us to overflowing. Thou art welcome in this place and in my heart today, Lord. Speak to me that I may speak in living echoes of thy tone today, Lord. And fill my brother Troy as he stands again. He stands on the foundation of God that is sure. As this seal, the Lord knows them that are his. And let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So give him courage, boldness, yea, joy, Lord, to be your minister of your gospel today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I feel like the ship is getting out today onto the high seas. And so, um, bear with me. How many of you here are in the same church that your parents were a part of when you were born? Okay. Well, maybe. <laughs> I might argue with some of you. Um, but uh, I tend to think that uh, the vast majority of you here are not. Um, and that somewhat uh, makes this topic a little bit more dangerous. Um, now, I want to just try to ask you a little bit about, to, to think in your mind, because we're, we're talking about the church today, and I want you to think just a little bit in your mind. When you think of church, what do you envision? Now, the Bible often speaks of this as a bride, as her, as she. So thinking of a woman, what, what type of a woman do you think of when you think of the church? Pure woman, spotless. spotless woman, loving, loving. Beautiful. beautiful. How old do you think she is? <laughs> 2,000 years old. <laughs> 2,000 years old. I'll tell you one of the struggles that I've had with the church and my perception. Um, as I have looked at the church in the limited experience of my life, and we'll end up talking about what church unfortunately looks like, I begin thinking of her as an old lady in a wheelchair in a convalescent home. The, one of the hymns we sing, it says, Far down the ages now, much of her journey done, the pilgrim church pursues her. It's a great song. But by the time you're done with it, you, you begin to think of this as a very old lady, a very old bride. But let's do look at Ephesians 5, just so we get the proper picture of this church. Ephesians 5. We've already quoted from it. I tend to think of it when I read this, as, as, and it's just teenage years, and, and as, we've, as we've looked at um, this timeline, surely it's... it's very, very young yet. And uh, 
you know, I listen to many people talk about the early church and, and a lot of people talk about the good old days and, and, and almost as if we're way, way down these ages now and that it's very old. But I think it's still very young. And I think it's going to be very beautiful and vital and alive when Jesus comes to claim His bride. And so, we're talking about something that's exciting today. And we'll have some negativities as we talk about it. But, but I have a, a burden today because, because I am very passionate about church. And I'm not sure how to communicate it to you. I, I, it's one of those things where I, I feel very excited about it, but I don't even know that I'm going to communicate it right to you today. Um, anyhow, um, it is uh, a church is born, the church is walking, and it's growing and it's not now currently in a wheelchair. It is very much alive today. Um, now, the Anabaptists in the United States anyway are in the middle of a huge identity crisis. Um, there hasn't been any serious revival that I know of here in the United States for quite a few years. Um, there is, uh, there's an awful lot of admiration of Protestant theology. And a lot of people in, a, in, a, in an attempt to get this filling of the Holy Spirit are kind of reaching out to, to the charismatic movement, hoping that's where it's at. And uh, we're really in an identity crisis. Um, there are older groups that are still actively quite strong. I came from one of them. A very stable, very ordered, very established, very threatened by any innovations um, of anything different. Um, and uh, that's, that's where a, a lot of the people that I, have talk, that I talk to have come from. I had a young Mennonite boy uh, come to see me here a few months ago. He was getting ready to go on a mission and needed some paperwork filled out. And as we sat and talked, um, he, came, he comes from a, a fairly conservative church. And, and he, he feels fire within himself. He wants to be alive and he wants to be doing the work of the Lord. And, and as he looks at his church, he sees something that's just inflexible. He sees the old men as unspiritual. They're all developing their businesses and, and, and they're not going out and, and they don't want to change anything. And, and he's alive and he doesn't really even want to work and he just wants to go out and, and, and do the work for Jesus and, and he, he wants to accept all Christians everywhere and he wants to get rid of any lines like, like his church is drawn. He wants to get rid of all of his culture. He doesn't really have any attachment to any of those things. And you know, I, I, I dearly love that young man and, and the desire of his heart because he has so much potential and he does have a love for the Lord. But what he's ignoring is that the Anabaptist church in the United States has proven over and over again that the road he's going down is well-traveled and it's actually not going to take him where he really thinks he wants to go. Um, I have, um, I have uh, seen many, many very super spiritual type young people throw it all away in just a few moments. <clears throat> um, and, uh, but I'm excited with this message because you're going to have to do, you're going to do one of two things. You're either going to, you're either going to um, go home and work in your local congregations and work together to bring life and vitality there, or you're going to go on and you're going to do it better yourself. And hopefully, you won't do the third option, which is just to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, about 10 years ago, 
I had a, I had a tremendous identity change. I'll tell you just a little bit about my journey. Um, I identified um, as, a, as a new believer with a very conservative um, area of our brotherhood. And uh, I was taught a lot there. Um, but I embraced uh, really uh, fairly ultra-conservative uh, ways. And I had a crisis that, that many young people have um, where they begin thinking, and uh, it is dangerous to allow the Holy Spirit to, to uh, it's dangerous to preach on it. It's also dangerous to allow that thing to really start, him to really start moving within you. Um, but I found myself, I read a paper about 10 years ago that was uh, titled The New Conservative. And that changed probably the, the course of my life. And I have identified myself uh, as that ever since. And I could talk to you more about that at some point, but I believe what it, what it is trying to drive at is this, that there is a possibility that you can take the strength of the, con the very conservative churches, because you have to be blind to say that they're not doing some things right. It takes the strengths of those things and blends it with the vitality of the New Order movements. And I believe it is a powerful mixture. It is, it is something that I want to see spreading uh, among the Anabaptist youth because I think there is tremendous, tremendous potential uh, in that movement. Um, <clears throat> anyhow, I think the new, or, the new Order movements are suffering because they cannot stop reacting. And further, Many of them are able to very well articulate what they are against, but they are almost unable to articulate what they are for, uh, many of the New Order movements. Typically in these, they are almost universally unable to draw any lines of standards. It's very difficult for them to do that. And the reason is because the minute they do, somebody's going to cry foul play, and it's going to bind them up almost immediately. Um, I see it happening all the time. Um, so what we're seeing is that there are movements that are seemingly very, very much on fire, but something is being lost. So what I want to look at today is, is what I feel are the critical elements to a vibrant church. Um, I want to just try to whet your appetite for what could be, for what, for what God had planned when he placed this, this beautiful plan of his in the hands of men and, and women like us. Um, let's, let's read about the utopia. Uh, I, I believe this is the utopian church in 1 John, the uh, first chapter. Let's, uh, let's go there. And um, 1 John 1, and maybe I'll just read this chapter. It's very short, but, but I believe it holds the key to a utopian church. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another 
and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Let me reread to you verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanseth us from all sin. That is the utopian verse, I believe, that describes what I long for in a vital, uh, living church. It is a place where there is light. It is a place where there is fellowship. And the blood of Jesus Christ is doing an effective work among the people. This is the utopia. This is what church should be. Um, I, I just want you to try to get a picture of, of light. It is a place where there is clarity, where there is vision, where there is not obscurity. There is no darkness. There is light. That's the first element. Add to this fellowship. Turn with me to... You know, I want to show you a beautiful illustration of what fellowship is. Luke 24. Luke 24 is... is um, is two men and they are walking and they are talking and they are communing. Let's look at this uh, in Luke 24. Let's, let's look at about verse... Uh, let's start in verse 13. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all the things which, that, which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned. This is fellowship. These two men could walk together. They were communicating together. And they were communing together. And that is just a beautiful, beautiful picture that so often we don't see between Christians. They were dialoguing about a tremendous event. One is probably saying, well, but I heard this happen. There's a, but this might have happened. And they're walking, and they're talking, and they're knitting their hearts together. It is a beautiful, beautiful picture of fellowship. Could it get any better than light and fellowship? It can. Let's finish that verse. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus Himself drew near, and He went with them. That's what John said. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and then the blood of Jesus Christ can come in and cleanse us from all sin. And we see that happening right here. Walking in the light, these men were communing together, and Jesus drew near, and He went with them. That is a picture, I believe, of a vibrant church. The problem is, churches that we see have a lot of darkness. And it's not a new thing. Just a couple of weeks ago, based on our timeline, uh, there was some letters written to the churches there in, in Revelation. And, and they had some serious issues too. They had issues like doctrinal errors. Uh, the doctrine of Balaam and the Nicolaitans. And, and in some churches, there was a spirit of Jezebel uh, being taught. And, and the Nicolaitans. Uh, some churches, um, many, many of the, the churches... Uh, had Laodicean spirits 
about them. They were wealthy and they were arrogant. Some of our churches look the same way. Uh, some of those churches that were written about there in Revelation were winking at sin and allowing sin in the church. There were bad attitudes existing and, and, and people of status were not being called down when they sinned. So churches have a lot of darkness, unfortunately, many times. You know, fellowship in a lot of churches is broken down and, and we know that's, that's true. Uh, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, I, I hear first that there be divisions among you and I partly believe it. And so from the very beginning uh, of the birth of this, this um, beautiful church, uh, there were divisions among the people. Um, in fact, um, broken fellowship has been around in the church so long now that it's almost accepted in many circles as the new normal. We've stopped believing that it's even possible to have fellowship that I'm going to tell you about here in just a little bit. What's happening is feuds are simmering under the surface and, and, um, and preachers are out of touch with their congregations and everybody gets together on Sunday and they smile at one another and they got, God bless one another and then they go home and they forget one another for another week until they come and repeat this, this insane ritual all over again. Fellowship in many churches is fake. There's little relationship. It offers a little bit more than a nice place to spend a couple of hours with a few decent, pe few decent people. So churches, are the, the lights are dimming. And, and in many places, fellowship is broken down. And finally... Um, many churches, known or unknown, are losing the power and the presence of Jesus in their churches. True conversions in many churches are lacking. Obedience is seemingly in some churches uh, elevated as the, as the greatest thing, and victory and, and overcoming sin is not being what it should. Many churches are struggling with uh, huge levels of mental illness uh, through the church. I can attest to that personally. I, I know what it's like. I practiced in an area where there was a lot of mental illness. Um, and uh, anyhow, so fellowship and light and, uh, and the power and the presence of Jesus is, is lacking. And so when we, when we see all that, we stop and say, is it any wonder why the youth are all pouring out the front doors of our churches and never coming back? Um, you might want to read the book written by Ken Ham sometime, Already Gone. And he writes about this phenomenon that's happening on a, on a huge scale um, in the United States, already well uh, into its uh, adolescence in Europe. Um, anyway, but that was not the heart of God. God intended for His church to be a place that was light and had fellowship and power, but man has reduced it to darkness, discord, and impotence in many areas. Now, if this is the state of the church, maybe it's time to throw it away. Who needs the church anyway? Uh, why not? Just work out your own salvation with God with fear and trembling and scrap this whole thing. Uh, I talked about this last night, but many people have, re have retreated to this position of spiritual but not religious, loving uh, lovers of God but not going to church. The problem with this, the first problem is, is it's just simply not an option. Those 12 men that we've been hearing about all week, they were, they were chosen and then they did everything together. They ate together. They walked together. They slept together. They had supper together. They, they wept together. They were together. That is one of the things that we see coming through Acts over and over again. Everything was together. Um, they, um, they, uh, they were together 
waiting on the Holy Spirit. They were together when Peter was in prison. And they came together when they had a problem in Acts 15 that they needed to resolve. This, this was to be a, a movement of togetherness. Now in Acts um, 2 and 44, let's just look at this picture. It's beautiful. Um, Acts 2, uh, 44, And all that believed were together, and they had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Um, it was the heart of God that, that His Gospel would bring people together. Now the second reason that this is not an option I talked also about previously, and that is that God wants to do a work in your life and He's going to use people to do it. And so you can live on an island, but there's a lot of things you're going to miss out on. Um, I, I would just say this, that the attributes of God grow best in the greenhouse of His church. That's where He planned for, for these attributes to grow. Thirdly, as an individual, you can do very little on your own. You have a few gifts, all of you, but not very many. You have some strengths, but frankly, you have some glaring weaknesses. You have some wisdom, but not all wisdom. And you, have, uh, you might be the hand, but you are not the whole body. God has a much greater plan for His church than just you. Um, there are many other points I think that could be made about this, this great error of the God and me option. But uh, usually in the end, suffice it to say, if that's the route we go, it's usually more me than God when it's all panned out. Now, the option uh, many folks are taking at the, at, um, at the, as they look at the state of this miserable church is just to throw it all away. You know, we were fascinated when we moved there to the Treasure Valley. Um, we didn't think that there were any plain people at all living in that valley or anybody that would even know anything about it. But interestingly enough, it wasn't too long until a couple of my brothers had bumped into two men with the last name of Yoder. You know what they were? They were Amish boys that a long time ago had decided that they were done with their church. They threw it all away, they went west, and they have totally incorporated themselves into the world. Um, I, uh, um, I angst over that. Um, where I come from in Pennsylvania, it's very interesting. That church, those German Baptist churches have been there for... A long, long time. And it's very interesting because what is around that church is a toxic rind of people that are not only heathen by birth, but heathen by choice. Any place that there has been an established church for a long time, I would say that the vast majority of the people around our churches there in Chambersburg and Waynesboro and, and Hagerstown are able to trace their lineage back to the Anabaptist people at some point, and they have chosen to walk away, or their ancestors did, and it created a very toxic environment. Um, and uh, from the appearance, those who choose the option of just throwing it all away become twofold more the child of the devil. And so what's left? And that's the third option. So we can, we can try to do it alone, or we can throw it away, or we can jump on board and try to make this thing, or join in with God in making this what his heart really was for in the first place. Now, 
So a vibrant church is a place of light. Let's talk about that just a little bit. The last three verses of this uh, first chapter of John talks about sin. So first of all, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar. Secondly, if, uh, if we say that we have not sinned, the word is not in us. And, for, and finally, uh, it's written, if we confess that we are sinners, we can be cleansed from it. And so the, a vibrant church is not necessarily a place where there is no sin, for there will be no people. But the reality of it is, a vibrant church is a place where sin is brought to the light and it's made manifest. All works are made manifest. Now, um, I, would, um, I would like to just suggest that, um, that a church needs to have a forum for confession. Now, we've been doing some confession here this week in our prayer groups and on our faces, and that's powerful, but it's not as powerful as coming before your own congregation. Now, I understand that, that a lot of times we pull back from that, but I can tell you when you stand before your brothers in your congregation in a setting where you can openly confess things like problems like speeding and things like that, it's powerful. It's very powerful. We have done that. We're doing that. And uh, greatly, greatly appreciate that. Um, a vibrant church is serious about sin and is promoting the holiness of God as the standard. A vibrant church is not crippled by a fear of discipline. Uh, many New Order churches are so shell-shocked by discipline or the perceived abuses of it that then they cannot have it any longer in their own churches, and it becomes a dying church. A church with no discipline is dying. Um, well, let's move on. Uh, I don't want to go over today. I just asked you, what, uh, we talked a little bit maybe the other day about a church with no standards. And um, I, I believe that the idea that, it, that a church would be more vibrant without standards is, is an untruth. I don't believe that. Because I would ask you, which one of you men intending to start a business are going to start one with no standards? You can tell your employees. You just show up when you want to show up, do whatever you want to do when you get here. It'll all work out in the end. Which one of you are going to raise your children like that? Say, so we have a no-standard home. We're going to have godly children, but we're not having any standards here. Or which of you would send your children to a no-standard school? There's actually some of those. I think they call them Montessori schools or something, where you can send your children. Nobody has to sit in a desk. No one has to do anything. And they just kind of float. Would you really want that? Now, the, uh, the congregation I come from has four written standards. And I'm going to tell you what they are. But I'll tell you how we got to them. We came together as men because we're fighting the same battle and we, we have a desire to go in a very specific direction and we came together and said, what are the issues that we need to unite upon and agree upon? And we wrote down four and we expect each other to abide by those and walk by those and live by those because we have identified them as current day real threats to what we are wanting to do as a congregation. Now, you know, where those, you know where those live? They live in my file cabinet. You know how often they come out? Once a year in January. They come out in January, they get laid out on the table, and we ask each other, are these still relevant? Is this really where the battle still is? 
Do we need to remove one, add to it, take away from it? And we have that meeting, and they go back in that folder for another year. I don't want you to um, get the idea that uh, a church is somehow vital if it doesn't have any standards. It's not true. There was a movement that pulled out of the German Baptist Church when I was growing up in California. Saw it happen with my own eyes. And it was a group of men and women who wanted one thing. They wanted everything that our church had, but no standards. That's what they wanted. Happened a little over 20 years ago. And as I understand it, nearly every single one of them are incorporated into mainstream churches now. Now, you will probably tell me, well, they weren't spiritual people then. But that, I would disagree with you. Because they were. Those leaders, they were preaching powerful messages. They were men of God. But somehow they got the idea that they could have everything that the church had without any standards. And it didn't happen. We're not here to criticize them. I'm just telling you, the jury is in on some of these things. Well, anyhow, let's move on. The second aspect of a vibrant church is that it's a place of fellowship. Now, I'm speaking of a very special type of fellowship. We're not, uh, we're not talking about bars, nightclubs, and support groups, and hobbies, and pet causes type of fellowship. There is, there is fellowship in that also. Um, but there is an agape fellowship, and, and it's, I call it unity on purpose. There is a coming together for a specific purpose. Now, the deacon in our congregation hammers this all the time uh, in our congregation. I love him dearly. But, um, but he hammers on the idea of unity. And I was telling some of them earlier, the reason he hammers on it is because he knows, and we have seen by now, that, that what we are able to do as a congregation in engaging the world is directly related to how united we are in our congregation. I have seen it happen where bad attitudes start creeping in, and next thing you know, we, we, we start looking inward, and our energy is being spent right there. And the only way you're ever going to have any energy left over to go out is if you are completely united on the inside. It is, it is, it is unity on purpose. Um, now, it's not unity just to look good, and he hammers on that one too, trust me. Um, uh, or just for unity's sake. It is unity for the express purpose of uniting our energy so it can be focused on the world and we can fight the real, inter- the, the real enemy. Um, but many churches are bound up in internal discord. And this takes on the form of many, many different forms. Um, posturing, um, uh, pitiful spite alignments with different ideologies just because someone else is taking the other side. Um, malaligning someone as, as spiritual and others as not. And, and, in, the, and in the end, the church ends up hanging out on Sunday and uh, fellowship is completely lacking. I think Satan hates it when he sees people laying down their lives and coming together because he knows the power that, that is contained in that when that happens. Now, um, now, it doesn't happen by accident. It happens on purpose and it is painful. It's very painful. If you decide that you want a church that is united so much that you have energy left over to go out, I can just tell you a little bit about what it's going to be like because I've been on the receiving end of plenty of it. But if you want real fellowship, then you're going to get touched where it hurts and you're going to have things said about you that you didn't even know existed. 
I have, I have been taken out for, I've been, I've been visited for issues of like um, uh, wearing a mask of fakeness, um, for uh, having issues with raising my children. Um, uh, what else did I put on the list that I could think of? Um, uh, corrupt attitudes. Um, I could go into a lot of different things that my brethren have specifically worked on me for. These are painful, kicking, screaming kind of things. But I'll tell you, if you're in a church that is not touching something in your life that's sore, you're being cheated. And you don't have the energy in that church uh, to go out like you could have. I want to I plead with you to try to get to that point because it's powerful. When you are touched where it hurts. Um, another uh, concern that I have is, is uh, in many church settings, they lose their vibrancy because of superficial affirmation. Affirming one another right where they're at while a bad attitude simmers under a facade or a small feud is allowed to persist between brothers and false measures of spirituality are erected. It is so dangerous when we just affirm each other right where we're at. Oh, there's an ongoing work in our lives that needs to happen. And if I'm just saying, good morning, God bless you, and that's all the relationship we have, we might as well go down and get that at the Owls Club because they can do the same thing, maybe even better. So, so this fellowship that I'm talking about happens on purpose, and it's painful. A vibrant church is one that embraces the reality that false fellowship is crippling, that contentions render the church impotent, and one that is willing to drive to the true heart of each person. <clears throat> you couldn't, uh, you know, it was, it was a dream I had years ago that I would someday be in a congregation like that. And I can tell you, uh, if someone would have told me maybe back then how painful it was going to be, uh, I don't know if I would have had the courage to go into it. But there is not, you could not pay me enough money to go back to the island that I was living on where everybody was nice to one another, but you lived all alone with your own heart. Um, anyhow, the, um, the final aspect of the utopian church is that Jesus Christ is there and that he is the all in all of all. And uh, as, as when, when Jesus Christ comes into the church, as there is light, you're willing to, you're willing to have light and bring sin out, and you're willing to strive for that fellowship that I'm talking about, he is going to come and he is going to walk with that congregation. And it is powerful. That is the power of the church. That is what his heart was for. That's what he wants. That's where he wants to be in churches like this. And, and he comes. Now, I want to just give a, a couple of things that I wrote down that I think are critical to a, a living church. And then we want to talk because I think there's maybe more questions than... And I don't really have that much wisdom on this. Um, number one, a church that's going to survive is, I believe, a church that is respectful of its heritage, number one. We are, indeed, far down the ages, and we all come from backgrounds with a heritage. Now, um, you know, I, so many parents that I see in the office just can't believe why their kids are so disrespectful of them. It's pretty obvious. They were disrespectful of their parents. And if you don't want your children to throw away the godly heritage that you're giving to them, 
then it's high time you start speaking of the godly well, of the godly heritage that was given to you. Yes, it had its weaknesses, but you were given some very deep, rich truths. And it would be very, very good for you, for each one of us, to be very respectful of the church heritage um, that we were given. Um, so often I see people that have left it, they thought they were in bondage in it, but they left it and they were ensnared much, much more in the bondage to that old church when they were out of it than they ever were when they were in it. Because every choice that they make and the direction that they choose is, is based solely on posturing against that old church. Just leaving a church doesn't get you out of its bondage. You might actually be getting more in bondage to that church when you leave it. Uh, secondly, it is a church that believes and promotes godly authority. And I, I know I've already gone over this, but again, I believe a, a vital church is a church that can respect and, it, and believes in having godly authority. Things would be very, very hard to have a church without that. Three, a church with God-honoring standards on issues of deep spiritual importance. Uh, it, that is just simply a church that believes that you're actually in a warfare and is willing to build some walls. And uh, again, I, I feel that that's, that's critical. I've tried to illustrate that already. That churches that believe they can have a living church that endures without any standards um, is, is not a true church, or it's, it's soon going to be uh, dissolving into the apostate church. For a church that is driven for unity for the sake of redeeming the lost. Again, if you try to work at unity just to, just to keep everything together and keep this machine going, it is falling apart from the minute you start. But if you've got a purpose specifically so that at the end of the day there is leftover energy for the work of the kingdom, you're going to find it's a whole lot easier to reconcile those differences. Not, not any less painful, but you will be driven. I was studying... I don't know, maybe a year or so ago, I was in my office, and, I, and, and I, I couldn't get into the Word, and the Lord said, you know what, you got to go talk to this brother about an issue, and I, I didn't want to do it. I tried to study, but I tell you what, if, it, if, if the Lord doesn't talk to you anymore, and it's time to go do it, just go do whatever He says, and then come back, and uh, it's not easy, because it's very vulnerable. you got to go with that spirit of entreaty. Um, but when you do, you can, and after you've had a few experiences, you become addicted to what God can do in those types of situations. You, you want more of it. Anyhow, a church that does not back away from addressing sin and is willing to touch the sore spot that it might be healed. Again, if you're in a church that's not promoting the touching of the sore spot, I think you're being cheated. And I think there's probably a lot of sin underneath the surface and a lot of uh, attitudes and a lot of things that are developing uh, uh, as time goes on. Um, number six, a church that is confident enough of what God has called them to that they can humbly accept others and be willing to admit that they are not the answer for all people. Now, one of the things that we have done, in, and, and I see every Anabaptist church doing this, pretty much, not all of them, but this is what happens. We... We validate ourselves by others joining our group. Someone comes, they're a seeker, right? They come, and, and maybe even from another Anabaptist church, and they come, they sit in our living room, 
you've had that big meal and you're drowsy and you're wide open for sin and they start talking about how, you know, they used to do it this way, but oh, they're so glad to now have found the truth and you begin to puff yourself up. And, uh, and, and so often we have gone through our, our communities as, as they have started, we have validated ourselves by people that have moved there to our congregation and built it up. We're validated by other Anabaptists that join us. I just want to sound a caution there. Um, one of the things that I have a vision for, and, and, and maybe you young men will, will all be ministers, and this is something I want to challenge you to. I want to challenge you when you, be, when you enter the ministry and there is, an, there is an individual from another Anabaptist church and they come to you and they want to join your church because they're on a journey and now they've finally found the right church so they, they came to your church. What I want you to do is I want you to take that person I want you to walk right back to where they come from and sit down with their elder, their bishop, their deacon or whoever it is and try to find out what happened, why they can't live there. You know what? Almost invariably, they're going to bring the same problem that they had in that church into your congregation. You want to know why so many Anabaptist churches are just impotent? It's because we've been trading these people all around. One of the things we should be doing is going back in the spirit of reconciliation and saying, is there any way that these issues can be reconciled right here in this church? Now, I understand, maybe they're Catholic, or maybe they're Mormon, and I probably wouldn't go sit down with their Mormon bishop. But if they're coming from another Anabaptist church, I think we need to slow down, and we need to make sure that we're not taking them in just to bolster our ego. Furthermore, they probably have issues that very much need work done. It takes humility, though, because you're going to have to go sit down with somebody else's minister. And to some extent, you're validating that group as a, as a potential option for that person. That takes humility. You also have to be saying, I may not be the answer for you. Church is the heart of God. He has invested his all in the new society. And uh, I just challenge you to, to examine your hearts as to where you're at. Could we just pass these out? I want to start having a conversation about uh, church a little bit because there's a lot of questions. I'll just take the top one there. Thanks. This is uh, something I didn't address really, but uh, and tomorrow, as a matter of fact, uh, if you if you choose to come back tomorrow, uh, I'm going to illustrate. I'm going to illustrate church for you, in what I think is a very powerful illustration. I would have done it today, but I was afraid that I wouldn't have time and I would not do it justice. So, I'm going to illustrate what I really believe about church. Um, anyway. First question, are the youth in the congregations you come from able to articulate the vision of the congregation? Could you give me some feedback on that? So if we interviewed the youth there, could they say, this is where we're going? This, as a congregation, this is what we're really wanting. It's okay if it's yes, that's, that's all right. Yeah. What's the purpose? What is the, yeah, what is the vision? What's the purpose of us being here? Why are we getting together on Sunday? Where are we going? What, what are the old people trying to communicate to the young people? Are they teaching them? I think a vision, I think a congregation should have a vision. Go ahead. I would say from my congregation, 
Should churches ever get together and say, now what, we have a really great thing going on here with some unity. Well, I wonder what we should be doing with this. You know, would it be good for a church to get together and talk about vision with their young people? Wouldn't be wrong, would it? <laughs> okay. Two and three um, are really similar. Uh, why do you suppose that Jesus didn't create a he and I option? I mean, if it wasn't for all the rest of us, we could have a good thing going. Um, can you give a few reasons why it's better for you to be a part of a congregation of believers than say by yourself? We're kind of getting far down the week now and, and uh, we've kind of come over some of these things already. So I hope that, I hope that you've learned that. Um, but if you've got any thoughts on that, you could share them. Uh, four is kind of a statement. Um, and I, I want to just speak just a little bit about this. Everything God creates takes a lifetime of exploration to experience and is full of surprises. Are you willing to believe this when it comes to the church? Now, um, those, my wife and I have been married for, for 16 years. And um, we're just, a, we have a wonderful marriage, by the way. And, and we are just amazed at what God continues to do in our marriage. It gets more and more and more exciting every single year. And uh, so everything that God creates takes a lifetime to experience its fullness, and that's not even long enough. You're just beginning. And that's a, I believe that's, a, that's also true with the church. If you're willing, he's got, he's got things contained in his bride that are just phenomenal if you're willing to to do what it takes to get there. He wants to show you. He wants you to have a good church experience. My, my thoughts are slowly catching up to your questions. I think I'm back at three. Okay. Um, yeah, maybe four stirred up. I don't know. Um, can you give a few good reasons why it's better for you to be a part of a congregation of believers than say by yourself? I don't know that I've ever tried it by myself, but maybe I have kind of tried it by myself within a group. I guess I could say it that way. Um, it seemed like that's how I was living out the Christian life. For one, I was, I guess, I'll say I was hiding sin in my life among a group, so I wasn't participating in a group. So I couldn't say that congregation was necessarily better because I sure wasn't using them as such. So I was hiding sin in my life when I was part of a congregation, but. So I can jump from there to now that, yeah, it's a blessing to, to be part of a group, to, to um, be able to share, confess your, your faults to a group of people that you might find healing. So that's one reason it's, part of, it's, it's better to be a part of a congregation of believers. Um, then the area of, like, outreach, um, I, I, that, that's one of my think of. I've tried that on my own, and... I'm thankful for it, but I think it's, it's, it's whatever the future is, it's going to be better when that comes from a congregation of, of brothers versus me trying to do that on my own. Um, and even to the point of 
where I live, and I, I've, I've thought about even my finances. You know, what if I laid all that on the table with some brothers? And um, where I live and, and all that. I, I don't know how detailed we're supposed to get with each other, but I, I wonder about some of those things. The big things seem, I guess, somewhat obvious to me, like outreach and, and confessing our sins, but um, if, if our congregation is there where we, we do all that, I, I haven't found myself there yet. And so I, I'm seeking to enter into that somehow, but I'm not sure. Um, I'm just trying to be open and honest, and I, I'm not sure if our congregation is there, and if, it's, if it is, and I don't want to be invited into it, but I, I haven't felt like um, that maybe we're all quite there yet. I, I don't know. There again. Take, I'm exposing myself to the sure. whole group here in this building to so, speak into my life. So take the money thing, for instance. Does it matter if your brother's in debt? I mean, what if your brother is, is going after a large business and he goes way in debt? Does that affect the congregation at all? Sure it does. What if he defaults on it? Think of the damage that's going to do to the church. So I don't think you can be too involved in each other's lives when it's done the right way. I have a question too. What if you have, what if a brother's sitting on too much money? Is that a problem? <laughs> Is it a problem? Yes. Why? Because Jesus said that where your treasure are there, where your heart be also. It didn't say where your heart is there, your treasure will be. So, so he's also sitting on his heart. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Please do not underestimate the power of a congregation that is submitted to one another and under authority to violate the darkness. Dream with me. Dream with Jesus. You can go it alone, but you're just a hand, a nose, a foot. Imagine the possibilities of a united church with a clear vision for the kingdom. A group God could risk a newborn with. A group God could transplant. A group God could speak to. Don't throw away the church. Help make it what Jesus dreamed it could be. It begins in your own heart. It's clothed in sackcloth. It's willing to be broken. Ah, the wonderful things that God can do with that which is broken. And then, you've got my phone number. Because I love to dream with people about how the church could be. Yes. Well, it's, uh, I can give you a little example of what it's like. Uh, I'm not a really emotional person. I cry every time I read a child's book. I'm not sure what the connection is with that. <laughs> but otherwise, I don't that much. Um, I, I don't that much. I'm just not, I, I'm, a, I'm just a very, I don't know, just get it done kind of person. That's, the, that's my personality. And we've got, some, we've got some, some other people in our congregation that are very emotional people. And, and, and uh, that is a challenge. I don't know whether that's hand and nose or whatever it is, but, but it, is a, it is a work. And, and, and it begins, first of all, with a choice that I am going to love that person. I'm just going to love them. 
just how they are, and, and I'm going to work to blend my life together. But I'm, I'm telling you, it's not real easy. I mean, it requires an awful lot of the rough spots to be worn off of you. And an appreciation. I think the other thing that I've noticed in my life is, is as you live together with those people, you see, you begin to see the, uh, the things that they can do in the kingdom that you can't do. And they begin to see, you begin to see the people that they can minister to that you can't. And when you begin to see your limitations and, and see them going into areas that you can't go into, you begin to appreciate them. Um, other thoughts on that? How, how have you done it? Well, I think about it, right? We've you know, been in church setting already where you know, one brother, well, like Paul said, you know, one brother in the early church went to the Gentiles and another brother said, hey, bless you, you're for the Gentiles, I'm for the Jews. And that was how the body worked together. Um, but each one supported you know, each one supported that brother of what he did. It wasn't that everybody had to have the same. In other words, their vision was the same, and that was to go to all the world and preach the gospel and show everybody what it would look like, as John, Brother John D. says, show everybody what it would look like if everyone obeyed the king. But there were different facets of that. So if, if one brother has a vision, say, to work inner city, let's support him in that, you know. But it's not like we have to say, my vision is works in the inner city, so the rest of you need to have the same vision. Um, but we should all support each other. You know, God has called each of us to a different position. And maybe God, maybe we have to recognize that God maybe have called some people to stay by the baggage and hold the church down and pray. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Speaking of John D., uh, he says that when new churches start, they love each other so much they could eat each other and then give them 10 years and they're doing exactly that. <laughs> so, clear in the back. Uh, oh, yes. Thank you. I misunderstood you. I'd like to speak into that from the Word of God in Ephesians chapter 5. And I won't read the whole thing, but it's speaking about the diversity that God created for one purpose with purpose for, for His body. Um, we don't all, the nose, we don't walk with our nose. Try it sometimes. I ended up in my nose. But, but there is a different purpose for the different members of the body, but it's all being directed by the head. And so when we all uh, come together, if we have something to share about that, take it to the head, take it to the Father, and share it with your brothers, and all of you seek the Father together, and when you find unity there in the Spirit, the Spirit you've been hearing about is alive, God is working, He is working in His body, and He is the Spirit, He is unity. Um, the unity in the congregation comes as each member submits to the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit moves all of them together, and they'll find purpose. I think you had your hand up there. Um, just thinking, I'm trying to think of a practical outliving of this. Um, let's say you have ten brothers, and one brother wants to share, open up his finances to the whole group. Five are interested, and the other five, they're not. Do you wait till the ten are ready to sit down together and do that, or do you go ahead and meet with the five and, and get moving with that? Yeah. Mm. Does anybody want to answer that one? What do you do? Anthony?
church settings, we work a lot by, we say that we want to operate as a congregation, and it was a democracy. We want to say that we're a theocracy under the head of God, but we operate by majority making decisions. And so it's very helpful to receive suggestions in our setting from somebody's heart. I see this as a need. It's not your need to do anything. I really encourage you to do that. And and if you uh, God's given you a burden for that, hand it to your leadership. And uh, it sometimes it takes longer years for God to work than He's already been working. And so I guess what I'm saying is use the avenue that God has given. Use it. That's what it's there for. If you feel like you're a woman and don't have much of a place to speak into what seems to be a glaring need, has God given you an avenue still? You know, with the with the whole debt issue, just because we're talking about that, um, kind of depends on why you want to know what everybody's debt is. And I, and I think as you as you write that paper, I think you can also articulate why it's important to you, why it's meaningful. Um, you know, to me, I mean, if if my brother's in debt. I want to know that because I feel as I feel an equal obligation to his debt, probably that he does, because I will pay it off if I can. Our congregation will. Once a once a year, uh, the congregation calls our deacon and says how much debt we have, and no one knows but him. I mean, he's got a spreadsheet and he follows it from year to year just to see where we're at. But it, we know at any point that if if he if he sees a trend that's going the wrong direction, he'll pull some of the rest of us in, and we'll start working on that issue. I have a question in relation to all this. First of all, I very much appreciate the vision. This is uh, this is koinonia that we're going to hear more about, I think, mm -hmm. down the road. And it, it's my heart, and I, I have experienced it, and I want to experience it more. I want to ask this in the right way, Troy, because I think you could honestly speak into this. Um, the type of close a sharing and interaction looks very doable to me. And please don't take this as, as an attack. No one's more sure. delighted with what's happening in Caldwell than I am. But it looks very doable to me if I could uh, select some similarly minded brethren and, and find a spot that I would like to go plant. Um, that looks very doable. Is that what everyone should be doing? What about if you find yourself with people on a variety of spots on the journey? Do you have some suggestions? Maybe some are interested in the first few points you have, the most interested, or the least interested in the last few. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm trying to make this edifying and not destructive. Sure, that's sure. my heart. Um, I, yeah, just, just some comments, mm -hmm. some fields of counsel. Can I add a little bit to you? I was in a church setting for a while, um, for a couple of years, where when they first started, everybody was unified on a, on a list of things that they had met together and written down. It was not enforced. There was no test membership. It was things that they got together and said, we agree on these things, and, and it went well. Now, when we came along, I think we agreed with most, if not all, but there were other families that came in and uh, 
we were probably one of them that didn't agree with quite all of them. And so some people said, wow, we like what's going on. And maybe, maybe we'll kind of uh, come in and we'll grow. And maybe after a while, we will agree with this whole list. But what they ended up with was problems because in a few years there was a lot of people who there was people who joined who just like Brother Joe said, the first half of the list was great, the second half of the list they're like, yeah, I don't think you know, I don't think so. And so what they did eventually and then where they are now is they're they're becoming more and more closed all the time. We just watched this happen the last two years. They had really, really closed down. The leadership became harder. Uh, it got very much to the point where <laughs> It was almost a test of membership, you know. And so what they eventually decided is we're not going to let anybody in here unless they agree with us, unless they are unified with these things. And I guess I just want to add that to this question. I, I'm, I'm, looking, I'm looking for an answer to you because that's, that has been something that's been on my mind. I just wondered how, how does that work, and I don't know. So I don't want to give the uh, impression that small church is utopia and, and large church is not. Um, and I appreciate uh, that uh, experience that you bring uh, also uh, to that. You know, I think that, that in larger settings where a lot of our people are, uh, there, can be, there can be wonderful things happen there when, when people embrace these convictions on an individual level and, and are willing to work together. Um, I am uh, under no illusion that, that in our congregation, as people come from the community, they're going to just you know, immediately embrace all these things. But uh, my heart's desire is that I'll be able to say these are, these are things, these are real battles, and these are some walls we erected because we think that they're, they're safe. Now, you know, I think, it's, I think it's very challenging to be in a setting where there's, there's a widespread of, of ideology. Um, and in the German Baptist Church, that's been kind of a time-honored thing, that, that it can be a congregation with, with ideas on the opposite poles. And uh, in a sense, that's beautiful um, because, you know, people are coming together and they can live together. My concern is that, that, that these issues of just false fellowship doesn't enter in and, and, and cheap affirmation. And so what I, I guess what I'm challenging us to do is to look at what, are the, what is the state. If it's, a, if it's a congregation where you can speak into somebody's life, people are growing there, um, praise the Lord. I think that's what he wants. So. I think in this whole subject trust and accountability are the issues yeah. um, it takes trust to become accountable and then also it, it also takes trust to not be accountable at every point so trust really boils down to we, we must begin to trust each other and then deal with sin as it arises sure another I just, I just would like to say when you encounter a congregation that has that false fellowship. And then this goes on the tail of what Joe was at, just asked. Is it time to move out with a few fellow believers that, that, that see something higher than that? Mm. You know, there's one that can answer that question better than me, and so I think I'll defer that to him. Because <laughs> um, I just, uh, you know, again, I, there's tremendous blessing in learning to bring yourself under and submit to. And so, I don't know. My dream is that the United States has an Anabaptist community in every single town. And so for that reason, I'm distressed by 200 and 300 member churches. Because there is so much work to be done. 
that when you pile that much on one pile, I think uh, there's a lot of disservice being done. Between here and Ohio, there are <laughs> abundant communities that need to have an Anabaptist presence. And so I'm for spreading out, and, uh, but the Lord has to be the head of that or it'll be in vain. Any other questions? It's probably time. 